Well, good morning. Thanks, Aaron and Zoe and Greg, and uh, always thanks to Jim and Damien back there in the booth, too, for uh, just giving us the opportunity to uh, sing and, and worship and uh, have that, that time each week that, that we do. Uh, I'd like to welcome you in. If you're, if you're uh, new with us, we're glad that you're here. My name's Kurt, and uh, I am honored to get to be up here with you all again. Happy Valentine's Day out there as well. Wondering uh, how many of you have already celebrated Valentine's Day with, uh, with somebody this year. How many of you are planning on it this year, tonight? <laughs> I won't ask who, so. <laughs> how many of you are planning for it tonight? Both, nice, cool. Thought I would... No, come on, we're not playing that, y'all. And all the other 363 days out of it, yeah, I get it, I get it. Well, if you're uh, like me, and you typically go Valentine's shop on Valentine's Day, uh, just be prepared to pay more for Valentine's cards right now than you would for ammo. Uh, they are like 10 or 15 bucks for a card. And so what I wanted to do in my little bit of pastoral help for you all this morning is give you an alternative. If you haven't yet purchased a Valentine's card for your significant other, uh, I found these online. They're taken straight from one of the greatest things ever written, uh, the Song of Solomon. And so uh, these are available for you online. I I like these. Uh, And of course, they're written in the wonderful language of the uh, old King James. The joints of thy thighs are like jewels, the work of the hands of a cunning workman. Ladies, if you get one of these, just be prepared to be blown away, okay? Or, or maybe this one, thy nose is as the tower of Lebanon which looketh toward Damascus. I gave my wife this one a couple of years ago after five minutes of trying to figure out what it said. She just goes, okay. Or this one, thy belly is like a heap of wheat set about with lilies. Try them, guys, let me know how they work, okay? I'm, I'm curious to see if you have any uh, better luck, uh, you know, making your, your wife happy than, than I did when I handed these off. But it is Valentine's Day, uh, and, and as we do a lot of times this time of the year, we've been in this series on relationships. We're calling this one Relationship Goals, and we said this was kind of a dual part series. It's part geared towards you know, a marriage or a romantic relationship, but also this is a series that really I think is applied to any other relationship we can be in. And we set out to say, if we were to set five goals, what would they be so that we can create healthy, long-lasting relationships? We're going to wrap this up next week by talking about uh, possibly one of the most important of the goals. Uh, But if I were to have asked you... um, We can go and hit that next one real quick. Here's here's what we've looked at so far, this idea of love, meaning that all of our relationships need to be grounded in the foundation of agape love, that love that we often interpret to mean there's nothing you can do to lose my love, but agape love means there's nothing you have to do to earn my love, kind of the other way around. It's unconditional. we, We offer our love without any prerequisites. Second week, we talked about respect, and we said that Our relationships need to have this idea of mutual submission. We talked about Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that we often sit back and wait for the other person to respect us first. But if everybody waits for the other person to make the first step, we're always just going to stand there with our hands in our pockets for the rest of time. Last week, we talked about commitment and priority. And we asked the question, who's your number one? 
And we came to the conclusion that no matter how much I love my wife and she loves me, she can never possibly meet all the needs I have in my life and vice versa, that only God can do that. Our deepest needs, we said, are met by our creator, not by our partner. If I were to ask you what were your top five goals or characteristics or traits that are necessary for a healthy relationship in, in your opinion, and you were to write those five down, we'd probably get a wide range of, of answers, of responses. But today's goal we're going to talk about, I would go so far as to say probably almost all of us are going to write this one down, and it's the goal of communication. Now, if you have been married for longer than, I'll say a week, because the honeymoon can last a week, and we don't really need much communication during the honeymoon, if you know what I mean, and if you don't, I don't know how you don't know what I mean, because, um, <laughs> well, I'll leave it at that. But if you've been married for longer than a couple of breaths, you understand the point of communication, why it is necessary. And even if it's not marriage, if it's just another relationship, you understand the importance of communication. And, and what we're going to do today is a little different take on this with a sermon because communication is not something you can just go to Google and say, what's the Bible say about communication and get this nice, long, easy to follow list like you might for love or like you might for, say, baptism or forgiveness or any of these other topics that we often talk about. No, you start getting these different angles of communication. So what we're going to do today is, is kind of take this two-part. We're going to take the first part and look at what the Bible has to say about communication when it comes to a relationship. And then the second part of this, we're going to look at some very practical steps and things that we can do so that we can better understand ourselves and those with whom we're trying to communicate. Because here's the truth of this, folks. There's a big difference between communicating and communication. I can communicate with somebody all day long, meaning I can share my thoughts and ideas with that person all, all day long. But that doesn't mean that that person's understanding it. You, you get this, right? Communication, or at least healthy, successful, real communication means that person is understanding what it is I'm trying to say. And often we're really good at saying things where they make sense to us, but we don't make sure that they make sense to the other person. And I'll be honest too, sometimes you run one of two, one of two uh, uh, dangers with this. You over-explain things, and then you become kind of condescending, which by the way, condescending means you talk down to people that they don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that was condescension right there, but thanks. <laughs> that was really funny in my office this morning, so just so you know. Or you run the risk of not explaining enough and just assuming that they know what you're talking about. I like to say that, that my father-in-law is good at this with me. He's a master mechanic, so he starts talking about the way stuff functions underneath a car, and I'm just like, mm-hmm, sure. I got the part where you said, this is the hood, and you lift it up. <laughs> I got you. I, I was with you to that point. You know? So it's like you, you, try to, you, you try to balance that line between not talking down to someone, but also making sure that they understand what it is you're talking about. And um, so, so we're going to look at that kind of from, from both of these angles today. First, we're going to dive into what the Bible has to say about communication. And when I said this earlier that it's easy to Google what's the Bible say about fill in the blank, I say that because most weeks that's what I do. That, that, that's a good way to approach this. It's, this isn't like some cheater method to like, oh, Kurt doesn't have the Bible memorized. He doesn't know automatically. Oh, yeah, that, that's found in this verse in chat. No, sometimes Google's a great tool for that. 
But when it comes to relationships, what I discovered this week is it gives us a, a much more rounded approach and a much more, I think, kind of layered approach to how relationships and communication work together. So what I've written down here are, are five traits, and I'm going to hit these kind of quick. I don't want to go, go too long on any of these. But five traits about communication within our relationships and what the Bible has to say. The first one is this. We should be prayerful about our words. We should be prayerful about our words. One of my uh, favorite verses in the Bible is found in Psalm 19. It's kind of an obscure verse. For a lot of people, probably don't have this one written down as one of your favorites. But it's David writing these words to God. And, and he says this, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. See, David understands something here that I think a lot of us fail to understand. David was a king. He was a master. David had servants. He had people who worked for him. And, and the best I can relate this is, is being a parent with children. David knew nothing that his servants could give him was really worthy to be given to him because he gave it to them in the first place. Parents, you do this like your kids want to give you a gift. Elsie's uh, great at this. Uh, Elsie wants me to take her this afternoon to the store so she can buy her mom a Valentine's present. And I say her mom because she already bought one for me. She bought me this chocolate figure that she thought looked just like me. Um, I'll say this, it's not white chocolate, but she thought it looked just like me. And I can see where she got confused because it's this incredibly ripped dude. So I can really see why she got confused that it looks just like me because it's built so much like me. But that's neither here nor there. But she wants me to take her to the store so she can buy her mom a Valentine's present. I know what that means. She wants me to take her to the store so I can buy her a present to give to her mom for Valentine's Day. And we do this. like our, We do this with our kids. And she, you know, for her, she just knows she wants to give a gift. But we know the truth. Like, okay, well, I'm kind of sort of buying my own thing here. That's okay, though, as a parent, right? We're, we're okay with that. And David's looking at that from the same standpoint with God. God, nothing that I can possibly give you is worthy for you because you gave it to me in the first place. So it's yours. I'm just giving it back. But what he knows is this. God, if down to the very core in my, my soul, if you guide just the things I'm thinking and feeling so that they're pleasing for you, that's acceptable to God. And so think about this when it comes to your words. Whether that's words with a spouse or a significant other or a coworker, or a neighbor, or a friend, or whomever it is you come across, how often do you pray, God, guide my words with this person? And we probably do at times. Every Sunday morning before I get up here, I step off over there to the, to the side, step off in, in either that restroom or that music room, and I pray, God, let my words be your words today. Guide my words. Let me get out of your way so that you can have your words said. Does that mean that every sermon I get up here and, and preach is perfect? No, I still get in the way, but I'm praying, God, let, me, let my words be intentional. Before I have a very important conversation with somebody, you know, in a, in a pastoral sense, same thing I pray, God, let my words be intentional and uplifting and helpful. Let me get out of your way. But how often do we stop and pray that prayer before we have a random casual conversation with somebody? Before we talk about what we're going to discuss at the dinner table that night. That may seem just like a, you know, off-the-cuff conversation, but conversations that can actually be meaningful and impactful to people. 
I'm not saying that you have to over-spiritualize this. We, we talked about this a few weeks ago with, with the money series. We should pray before we spend things. I said, you know, you don't have to sit outside the Taco Bell drive-thru going, God, do you want me to spend these $5 on this chalupa? Like, you don't have to pray that price. We don't have to completely over-spiritualize it, okay? I don't know if they sell chalupas and if they cost $5. I really don't. So somebody can check me on that later if you want to. But there's a point, okay? Second Timothy, Paul writes these words that we should avoid godless chatter. It says, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. What it means is we need to make sure that just like every aspect of our lives, our words are being used to glorify God, and specifically in the, the context of relationships with others. Here's why that's important. The number two principle of, of, of communication in relationships is this, your words matter more than you realize. Your words matter. I don't know how many of you can recall hearing something and that, that phrase you heard will never leave your brain, okay? Uh, maybe you've heard about the idea of forgive and forget. I can give you my own personal example on this. I can forgive, and I do forgive, but I never forget. Stuff I've heard never leaves my head. And I don't mean just stuff that hurt. I mean stuff that caught me off guard, that shocked me, Okay? And even when, when the, we, we realized later that maybe the situation changed a bit from exactly what was said, I still remember those words. I remember vividly the words my dad said to me when I was 16, we found out that one of my friends had killed himself. And I just, I'll never forget that word when he said he, he just killed himself. My dad was a police officer, he, he'd heard the news. We come to find out later, like the next day, it was a horrible accident. He didn't intend to do this. They were, him and his friends were messing around, and it happened. But I'll never forget that, and I'll never forget how I felt when I thought, why? why? I mean, just that, that shock that hit me, right? Words matter. Now, I don't hold that against my dad. I mean, he was, I saw the shock in his face, too, right? And, and you, can, you can relate this to any instance in life when you've heard something that just hits and sticks. Proverbs uh, chapter 12 it tells us that the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. Again, I remember things I've heard from when I was a child on the, on the playground at school or whenever I was in middle school getting picked on or bullied or, or rejection uh, words that I heard from people when I was getting into early adulthood. You, you remember those. And often the way our brains work, we remember the negative things we hear more than the positive things we hear. I remember hearing uh, criticisms that, that just stick. And, and again, you can forgive, but forgetting is often the hard part. So we need to be careful with our words. And I'd say this too, sometimes we need to remember that we don't need to say certain things at all. In fact, sometimes we don't need to say anything at all. Number three is this, listening is communicating. To listen is to communicate. Proverbs 18, it says the heart I'm sorry, to look at the wrong one. Proverbs 18, 13, it says, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. And let's be honest, we can be pretty good at answering before we listen or before we investigate or before we think what, we, what is it we want to say here. And, and we're, we're, we're good at this because we like to be heard. We like to make sure the other person knows what we think or feel or that, that our point is made to others. So sometimes before we say things, it's important to just step back and pause 
and let the other person say what needs to be said. I, I, I can get guilty of this because I, I, I want to help when somebody's talking. But I know when it's flipped, sometimes I have to tell people, okay, just let me finish talking. It may take a little while, but let me get it all out there, and then give me whatever feedback you want to give me. And I promise I'll sit back and be quiet listening to the feedback. Like it's just kind of a, a give and take there. How often do we stop and listen to what somebody else has to say? This is important, too, in our, our, our spiritual lives. Because often we think we're not hearing from God, or we're not giving God a chance to talk to us. It's like we, we, we ask him something, and it's kind of like, you know, talking to one of my kids or, or my wife, and I'm like, well, it's been 10 seconds, he didn't answer, I guess he didn't hear me. <laughs> hey, God! <laughs> no, no, be patient, be calm, wait, listen. Because the more we don't do that, I think the more we get frustrated, and the more that frustration can turn to anger, and, and here's number four, anger stifles communication. It stifles communication. Why? Because suddenly we're inwardly focused on what didn't go right for us. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote those, those famous words in James chapter one when he tells us that we should be uh, quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. When we get angry at something, it's because it didn't go our way. It didn't go the way we thought it should go. And too often, I think we're really good at thinking that we're, we're using righteous anger and, and, and we're being angry on God's behalf. And I've noticed in my own life, I'm not very good at being angry. I'm not very good at being mad because I lose control of what I want to say. And I lose control of my ability to say it. And just like I mentioned a few minutes ago, you can't put those words back in the bottle. My grandpa used to say, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. You know, you can try all you want, but once words are said, they can't be unsaid. And so for me, I've just decided it's so much easier for me and better for me to let God take care of that part of it. Because he's a lot better at it than I am. It's better for me if I just take a step back and catch my breath and relax. <laughs> okay, try to find a different solution than anger. Here's number five. Your communication should build one another up. Kind of mentioned a moment ago that, that, that verse from Ephesians 5, verse 21, where it says submit to one another. We go back a couple weeks ago, we talked how that's kind of a, a weird verse because it's a bridge, you know, and some people associate it with the husbands and wives passage that follows. Some associate it with the passage that comes before it. I think it works for both because before it, it talks about how we should live together with one another in the kingdom, in community. And one of the key verses from that passage is chapter 4, verse 29, when he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. Is what you say to a, a, a husband or a wife or a friend or a neighbor or a coworker? is it being said in a way that lifts them up? Even if it's a critical comment, is it being said in a way that benefits them, that lifts them up? There's ways to be critical without being cutting and condescending, without making sure that person knows, okay, well, this was the right way to do that. No, there's ways to, to approach it. There's ways to do that. And it's kind of what I want to get into over the, the rest of this, this sermon, because I want to take a step in a different direction and start looking at this from a more practical standpoint. 
How exactly can we put this to, to, to work? How can we communicate better with those around us? Siblings, parents, friends, neighbors, etc. read a book several years ago that, that uh, was written by John Maxwell. He's, he's, if you don't know John Maxwell, he's kind of a leadership guru. He speaks at churches and, and conventions and conferences all over the world. And he speaks even to corporate leadership functions, but he, his heart is, is based on the church. And that's really where he, he started from. But one of his, favorite, or one of his books of, uh, that he's written that's one of my favorites is one called Everyone Communicates, Few Connect. And it talks about that whole idea of, again, the difference of just communication and communicating. He says this in his book, if you're going to connect, people need to know that you understand them. And I thought about that because too often we just focus again on ourselves. I communicate and it makes sense to me, so I'm not sure why it didn't make sense to you. That's your fault, not mine. That's our attitude a lot of the times, right? <laughs> kind of like I said earlier, that joke killed in my office this morning. Okay? <laughs> not sure what's wrong with you people, but that killed in my office this morning. So I kind of took a step back from that this week and, and, and approached this because before we can start to understand others, we do need to learn how to better understand ourselves. And then as I was researching it, I came across this quote from, from John Calvin, the great theologian. And I, don't, I don't ascribe to Calvinism by any means, but John Calvin gave us many things that we still utilize in the way we believe and follow today. But Calvin said this, without knowledge of self, there's no knowledge of God. What's he mean by that? Last week, we talked about this concept. I gave you this Latin term, the imago Dei. And it's Latin for the image of God and said that we are all created in the image of God. And that's easy, I think, for me to look in the mirror and go, okay, Kurt, that's the image of God. I guess that means that God shares a lot of the same desires and passions that I do. And therefore, he must also share a lot of the same dislikes that I do. But guess what? My wife is created in the image of God. She has some different <clears throat> passions and desires. And she has some different likes and dislikes. And this may shock you all, but some of those don't overlap. Some of the things I like, she doesn't. So wait, okay, God, are you right about me and wrong about her? I'm guessing that's probably the truth, right? <laughs> no, what we said was, when all I do is focus on myself, I just get this tiny little sliver of who God is. And I ignore that you're created in his image, and you're created in his image, and your passions and desires are shared by him. And we start to get a bigger glimpse of God when we get a better understanding of ourselves and of those around us. It also helps us see our flaws. It helps us see where we aren't complete and whole, and we are, uh, where we are in need of grace, where we're in need of his mercy. So as we do this, what I'm going to talk about over the next few minutes, some of you might roll your eyes at this, but I'm going to talk about how we can utilize tools that are out there on the internet today to help us get a better understanding of ourselves and also of others. Most people call them personality assessments or personality quizzes or tests, different names for them. There's a variety of them out there. But before I jump into these, I, I kind of want to talk about them for just a moment here because there's pros and cons to these, okay? The pros are the, the, these assessments help you understand yourself by explaining quirks and traits about your personality that, that lay the foundation for why you do what you do, for what your passions are. They help you get a grip on that. And I think for me too, when I look at them, they help me understand maybe why I'm not so strong in certain areas because I'm not wired that way. 
But, you know, as humans, a lot of times we think we want to be good at everything. Or that if we have a fault, that we should fix it. Not that maybe that's just how we're created and wired. Okay? But again, I want to, to put a disclaimer out there because I've been around a lot of people who put so much stock in these things that they automatically go, oh, well, I have no reason for improvement whatsoever because this is who I am. And you need to accept that. And also, too, a lot of people will, will take that assessment and they'll put it like a label on their chest and be like, okay, well, here's what I am. You need to know that so that you can know how to approach me. And they don't really care about turning it the other way around. I've, I've told a story before about uh, a colleague I, I had a few years ago. And uh, we were assigned to uh, th- this team to work together on stuff. And uh, at this particular place, we were taking the DISC assessment. And the DISC assessment, I'll talk about that here in a moment, but uh, for, at, at the time when I took the DISC assessment, I was scored as an SC, which basically means that my steadiness factor is high. I don't get rattled easily. Um, I'm passionate about things that matter, not about things that I don't think matter. And the, the, the label that came with SC was called peacemaker. In other words, I just want everybody to be happy and have a good time. I'm calm as long as you're calm. This guy was a high C, meaning he was like super high detail oriented. And it drove him insane if somebody else wasn't super high detail oriented like he was. And he was flipping out over nothing, details that didn't matter. And and we we had this meeting that should have been like a three minute conversation that lasted over an hour multiple times. And finally, okay, dude, we can't do these anymore. And he blew up. He goes, you don't understand. I'm a CD. I'm like, okay. I can listen to music on you, I guess, or something. I don't know. I'm a CD. That means this is important to me and this matters. And the fact it doesn't matter to you is infuriating and insulting to me. It takes a lot to rattle me. (laughs) I stood up and said, okay, I'm an SC. You know what that means? If I think a meeting is stupid, I'm going to say that this meeting is stupid and I'm going to leave. That's one of my labels. Look it up. It doesn't say that. It said, sure does. And I pointed it to him. The meeting ended. <laughs> we didn't have any more. I said, here's what you don't understand. Yes, I know these are important to you. You need to understand the rest of your team if you're going to be in control of this team. And I said, by the way, the rest of us on this team are high S's. Meaning we're not going to sit in a meeting if we don't think that meeting has value. And we don't think it has value. You could have explained this in a text message. But that's the difference. Okay? He was obsessed on himself and his and wanted to make sure we knew his, but wasn't willing to check on everybody else's. And so as we look at these, when I read this quote, it made me think of that moment with him. Going back to Maxwell, he said, people don't remember what we think is important They remember what they think is important. Husbands, how many times have you had a conversation with your wife where, in your opinion, it went really well, and you found out later it didn't, (laughs) that you missed something? (laughs) Wives, how many times have you been certain you've communicated something to your husband, and then later you go, why didn't you do that? And he replied, you never said anything. (laughs) Probably don't have to, like, really think hard and long to find those instances, right? So we're going to look at a couple of things here. 
and you can take these with a grain of salt. I'm going to give you uh, 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 three different assessments that you can look at. You can do these on your own. You can find free versions if you just Google it. But these are the top kind of personality assessments that most people use these days. A couple of them have been around for decades. The Enneagram is a newer one. Um, it's one that a lot of people are obsessed with these days. The DISC assessment, that's the one I mentioned earlier. Um, or the Myers-Briggs, that, that's one that I did Myers-Briggs back when I was in, in college. And then, uh, you know, I did DISC a few years ago. Enneagram's a new thing. But what these do is the DISC, for example, it's based on preferences and natural reactions to life situations. Again, you have these, these different assessments, and it bases it on four types, which the DISC acronym spells out. Dominance, uh, influence, steadiness, and conscientiousness is the C, or detail-oriented. And to kind of give you uh, an example of, of what DISC means, a lot of times people in leadership positions are high Ds. That's the storm-the-hill kind of leader. Okay, a, a high S is more somebody who takes a step back, and they, they gave us a baseball analogy with DISC. They said a, a high D is a shortstop or a third baseman. Their first step is in, charging the ball. The high S is a center fielder. Their first step is back to evaluate the situation. And I laughed when she said that because my wife is a high D, I'm a high S. I was a center fielder, she was a shortstop. <laughs> they nailed that one. Okay. Uh, the Myers-Briggs has been around since about World War II. It measures your personalities based on sensation, intuition, feeling, and thinking. And when you take it, you're given a four-letter combination. For example, you could be what's called an INFJ. Okay? You, you can look that up and find out what all those mean. Each of those four-letter spots, there's one of two options you get. When you take the disc, you're, you're a two-letter combination. Okay? The Enneagram is the newer one. It dives a little deeper into your, your psyche, into your uh, soul a little bit, because the Enneagram focuses more on your motivation in life. What is it that motivates you? And you're given one of nine responses to that. And don't ask me how to explain the Enneagram. I don't fully get it. I know I can be one of two results, and you're not supposed to be that combination of those two results, but I don't understand it. I know when I take these, I'm typically in the middle. I don't gravitate heavily towards one side or the other. Um, but you can look at those, and again, you can Google any of these. You can get a free assessment. It takes probably about 20 or 30 minutes to take one, and it'll give you a, 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 res a results response. If you really want to invest in it, you can probably pay 10 or 15 bucks and get a full packet of information that explains your, your results. But when it comes to relationships, there's an additional one that I want to offer to you guys that you can again find for free online. It's one many of you have done and many of you are familiar with. It's based on the book, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. And what this book dives into is it answers the question, how do you experience love? And Chapman wrote this book for churches. He wrote this book to, to tap into how God has wired you to experience love because we all experience love a little bit differently. Not how we give love, but how we best experience it, how, how I best receive it. Some of you know these, the, the five love languages are this, physical touch, quality time, words of affirmation, uh, acts of service, and receiving gifts. You may say, well, what about giving gifts? That's fine. Well, that'd be acts of service. That'd be, that'd be serving somebody else. Um, I can tell you on this one, for, for me, mine is words of affirmation. And it sounds like an, an egotistical thing from my standpoint for somebody to tell me, hey, you're doing a great job. No, that's not what it means. 
I need to hear that because I need to know I'm doing what's expected of me. I need to know I'm living up to expectations. So, so for my wife to tell me something, it's not so that I can feel like I'm the best in the, on, the wor- uh, on the planet of things. It's so I can know I'm doing what she expects and wants me to do. For her, it's quality time. It doesn't matter what we do so long as we're doing it together. That poor woman, I have dragged her to baseball stadiums across the country. I've dragged her out on the side of mountains in a Jeep. You know, I've, I've, I've taken her to, to stuff that she would have never gone to do before we were married. But she doesn't care. She's, she's with me. Like, that, that's her thing is, is just being in the same room. doesn't matter what we're doing. As long as we're in the same room, breathing the same air, that's a love language for her. And if I were to, ra- this, this is funny for me because if I were to rank these one through five on how I best receive love, how I give it out, it's flipped. Like, for me, it, I would say it's words of affirmation is number one. Uh, physical touch is, is two. Acts of service is three. Quality time and receiving gifts in that order. But the one I'm the worst at is giving words of affirmation. I don't know how to explain that, but that, that's what I'm, I'm the worst at. Physical touch is down on my list. Okay? It's just like it's, it's I, I flip it back and forth on how I, I give those off. Why are we talking about all this? Why is this all important? Here's why. It's easy to know, okay, this is what I want and need in my life. This is how you can best communicate with me. And, and to know that in my brain and think, okay, well, then I'm going to make sure I take that same approach with everybody else. But yet that other person I'm talking to may be totally different than me. And where for me, those words of affirmation may get into my, my, my heart a little bit, which, by the way, I mentioned Enneagram. I'm a three, if you know what those are. Okay? I'm also a six, and those two numbers don't go together, but whatever. A three it's called the performer, <laughs> person who gets up in front and likes an audience, needs an audience. That's a three. Words of affirmation kind of ties to that. So it's kind of lumped together a little bit, right? It's easy for me to assume that because I'm that way, everybody else is too. But for some people, they don't want that. There's some people that words of affirmation are almost embarrassing. They don't want that. Instead, they just need to know they're loved. So acts of service might be theirs. Uh, you, you see a lot of organizations these days invest in, in, in these assessments and invest in these. Why? Because they want their team to know how to function and work together. One of my mentors talks about this. He, he talks about his assistant. Her name is Jenny. And he said, I know with Jenny, she needs to know that I'm going to come tell her something before I come tell her something. <laughs> he said, she just, if she's caught off guard, she freezes. If I walk in her office to say, well, here's what we need to do. She just kind of freezes. But if I send her a text a minute before, say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop by in a minute, she can prepare. Like, she mentally can prepare for it. Just that one little nugget, that one little nugget of knowing how she can be communicated with fixes so many problems. So I want to encourage you this week to not just brush these off, but to actually look into these, find out what your personality isn't what your, your partner's personality is. Why? That'll help you communicate better with that person. Maxwell said it this way, people may hear your words, but they feel your attitude. They feel where you're coming from. Solomon said it different in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 18, he said, fools find uh, no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. 
This week, I want to encourage you. Okay, I know this was kind of a different take on a sermon. I don't mean to make it a, a seminar or advertisement for any of these. But I want to encourage you. Take a step back. Learn to understand somebody else. Learn to understand yourself. Because it's going to give you a better glimpse of who God is. And it's going to give you a better glimpse of how God reaches you and how you can talk, talk to him. So here's your takeaway that this, this week. Take one of these quizzes. Take one of these assessments. Okay? Get online. Again, you can look it up. You can find free versions of these. It'll, it'll email you your results. But I would encourage you too, in addition to one of those personality quizzes, if you haven't before, take that love languages quiz. Take it with your, with your partner, with your, with your spouse if you're married. And even if you're not, that, that can apply to other relationships as well too. Okay? Take some time this week. Talk to God. Invest in your relationships because communication is absolutely a key. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for just for you, Lord. Because God, even when we don't know how to communicate with you, God, you're still right there with us. God, I'm thankful you give us relationships that help us get through our world. You told us that it's not good for man to be alone. And God, you give us people in our lives to help us walk with you, to help us become closer to you. God, to, to give us that companionship to give us a taste of your love for us. You give us people in our lives for that. And God, I know for myself, I, I, I can be very self-centered on how I talk to other people because it makes sense to me. God, I need that reminder. I need that reminder that it's worth taking the time to make sure it makes sense to everybody else. That other people are worth my time investing in them. Because, God, you, <laughs> you invested in us, and we didn't deserve it. You sent your son to die on the cross for us, and we didn't deserve that either. God, we pray today that we could all experience your love. We could all share your love better. God, I pray today, if there's anybody here who hasn't experienced that love, who doesn't know that love just yet, God, you would lay on their hearts to, to open up that dialogue with you talk to you, that you would put them in our path, that we could, we could be your mouthpiece. God, we're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful, Lord, that he came to die for us. We pray in his name.